I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, Darren Hinch's life hosting Midday. It was an Australian TV tradition for decades, with hosts like Mike Walsh, Ray Martin and Hinch. There were stars like Jeannie Little and John Michael Howson. What went on behind the scenes? Mr Hinch, welcome to That's Life again. Thank you, Tony. Now, you, uh, you spent uh, half a dozen years uh, gracing the lounge rooms of uh, Australian homes at midday. No, not six. I only did, I did, I did about one or two years. Oh, did you? I think so. Oh, I yeah. thought you did six years. No, no, no. It was, uh, Mike Walsh was the original long-term host. Yeah. Well, he, he went back he uh, left. to he was, the 70s, I yep. think mid-70s even. And then um, and then Ray Martin took over, which is an unusual appointment because I thought he's a journo, but he took over and did it well, and he did very well. And, uh, and then I took over, which surprised people. Um, and the background to it is, is even better than the surprise because uh, um, the, the, the replacement host for Ray Martin on Midday was Mike Munro. He was going to leave Current Affair, which was hosting, and go to host Midday. And By the to, way, Mike Munro has disappeared. Off yeah, the he's retired, of the I think. He's retired, he's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, the background story I can tell you now is that Ray Martin got me the job at Midday for two reasons. One, he convinced Mike Munro it would be a bad step for him to go to Midday. He should stay at Current Affair. And at the same time, Ray told Kerry Packer, told KP, that Hinch would be a great host at Midday. And uh, I think that helped me get it. And I had a meeting with what I call the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, Four Suits from Channel, Channel 9. And then I went off to... Um, Bellevue Hill and met up with Kerry and had a chat to him and got the job and I loved it. I really enjoyed doing it. Now that's in Sydney though. You'd, you'd, Sydney, the yeah, I, I moved to Sydney. From, oh, you lived in Sydney. I lived in Sydney, you? yeah. I, moved, I rented, a, I rented a, an apartment in, in, in Sydney and lived there, yeah. Had to do it from there. Um, and the weird, two weird things, I, I'm backing into some of these stories about midday because there's some great ones. I was the only midday host who didn't have a clipboard. Yeah, Ray used to have the clipboard. Ray had a clipboard. I think Mike Walsh did. Mike Walsh had a clipboard. Don Lane had a clipboard on the nighttime show. It was a little... uh, Laurie Oakes had a clipboard on Sunday. It was a little... Their go-to. It was Linus' security blanket. And yet, I didn't use one because, ironically, Jackie Weaver, we were married, and she said, this this clipboard thing, she said, you know, I'm, I'm answering a question... And I'm looking at the host's head because he's looking at his clipboard. I mean, he's not looking at me. He's looking at the clipboard. What's the next question? And after the show, after midday, I'd always meet with the audience and have a little chat. Ray used to do it too. And have a chat with the audience. How uh, many people would be in that audience? Oh, uh, 50 or 100 every day. Just enough to give it that Yeah, they'd, br- they'd bring life. in truckloads of people from Generally, nursing were, homes. <laughs> a whole other sort of people with uh, blue rinse hair. Yeah, the blue they? rinse set. Um, but I remember my best clipboard story was um, I, I'd, I'd get out to the audience and I'd have a chat and I'd say, you, you may realise I don't use a clipboard. And the reason I don't uh, is because Don Lane always used one. 
and Don Lane would say to you, and I, I, I'd, I'd say, a host would use, I won't name him, Don Lane, you know, and uh, and Don Lane would, uh, this is the example I use, he'd say, hey, hi, Darren, um, any of you, I hear you've just come back from Hong Kong. I'd say, yes, yeah, I had a holiday in Hong Kong. Great place, isn't it? Did you enjoy it? I said, no, because my, my mother fell off the Star Ferry and drowned. <laughs> while I was there. And Don would look at his next question and say, isn't the food good? Because that was the next question he had on his list. And this thing about not being able to jump from an answer to a new question. Yeah, which takes a little bit of uh, concentration, really, yes. isn't it? Because but you, you, you have to listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they're saying. You're not looking at what the next question is. You're saying, you know, listen. And, and I remember, I, I think I mentioned this once before, Kirk Douglas was being interviewed by Don Lane, and Don had this unfortunate rule that you had to go and talk to him in the green room in the afternoon first, right? And he'd ask you all the questions there. So when he's interviewing Kirk Douglas, when he's out here for Man from Snowy River, the movie, uh, he asked him a question and Kirk said, I told you that this afternoon, <laughs> which blew the whole thing about how spontaneous this was. Oh, uh, that's, too, that's too funny. Look, it's, it's not easy really because uh, when you're in a conversation, say at a restaurant or something, mm. you know, it all flows pretty naturally and normally because you don't have the pressure. But when you got the TV lights and you know that, you know, half the population of Australia is uh, watching television at the moment, uh, it, it adds that degree of pressure. And sometimes you think you're going to draw a blank yeah, and you've got nothing yeah, to and, ask. And, and if your, your guest doesn't answer, you're it, you know. Well, you've, have you've you had off. any of those guests? Oh, occasionally, yeah, yeah. Uh, you get the rabbit in the headlights, you get the scary bits. Who, who um, was the worst guest you had, did you? I can't remember. The worst radio guest I've had was Harrison Ford. He was a pain in the ass, but never mind. Um, the, the thing about Midday, you're on, it was a 90-minute show live to air. Uh, and it was, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of work, you know. And people didn't realise what a huge audience it had. I mean, I'd gone on an aeroplane... And the hostie would say, oh, I loved you on midday yesterday. Because flight attendants would watch it. Waiters would watch it. People who are doing shift work would watch midday. And when midday stopped, I mean, I thought this was, this was bullshit. Somebody said, how many books were sold when, when a, a book got mentioned on midday? And, and somebody told me this, a, a, PR, a PR from a publisher. I said, oh, come on, people just don't. What, some woman's at home watching midday. She's going to race into town and buy a book? And they said no, but she'd phone her husband at work and say, during your lunch hour, could you pick up such and such a book? I just saw it on Midday and it looks interesting. And when Midday went, that, that, that did cause a slump in, uh, in book sales. I mean, Oprah Winfrey sold, made more books bestsellers than anybody in the world. There's an Australian woman from Melbourne who wrote a book called The Secret, which was, in my view, was tosh. Well, that's Rhonda Byrne. Yes, and she was once married to Peter Byrne. That's right. He was a radio guy at 3UZ. <laughs> and I know the whole story because uh, Rhonda worked at the local, uh, worked at the, at the front desk where she answered telephones. At Channel 9? No, at 3UZ when they, when they were at 45 Burke Street. Oh, okay. She was a young girl working as a receptionist. Peter Byrne had just come from the country to work at uh, 3UZ as a radio announcer. He did a program with a guy called Jackie Clancy. Yeah, which, yeah. Do you Jack remember Clancy, him Yes, I do, them? Jack Clancy, yeah. Uh, and uh, that's where they got to know each other and they got married and they've had some kids. And uh, I see Peter quite often, well, not quite often, but sometimes. 
sometimes. And he's in email contact with He had a beautiful voice. Beautiful radio voice. But she, from my memory, and Rhonda, don't sue me, she um, wrote, like, The Secret started out as as a pilot for a TV show with her and somebody else. And it didn't work or fell apart or something. And she wrote, turned into a book called The Secret. And Oprah embraced it. And it sold millions of copies. Millions, you know. Well, she apparently made $40 million <laughs> from it. And she lives in a house in Los Angeles. Well, there you go. And she deserves it. I mean, funny about writing books in America and how with a huge audience you can make money. Steve Dunleavy's ex-wife was called Yvonne. Is called Yvonne Dunleavy. Ex-wife. He's a famous, infamous journo. And uh, she was asked to write a book called The Happy Hooker by a guy whose name I forget, a journal, an author who'd written The Green Berets. So it was been a big seller. And he was too busy to write this book. So he asked Yvonne, through a publishing friend of mine, so I know the story, um, she said, look, I'm, I'm a bit busy. Um, could you write it? I'll get you the info. Could you write it? Because you're a writer, freelancer. And we're having dinner one night, and I said to Yvonne, yeah, well, that's okay, but what's she going to pay you for it? And she's all... Nothing up front, but he's offered me 25 cents a book when it's published. And me, being financially stupid, said, uh, don't do it. I mean, <laughs> you, I mean, you can't write a book on the hope you're going to make 25 cents a book if it sells, right? Well, she wrote the book The Happy Hooker based on the life of Xavier Hollander, who was the happy hooker in New York. They made a porno out of it. They did. They made a porno movies. And, and Xavier used to write a porno column for uh, the Penthouse magazine, etc. Anyway, The Happy Hooker, which she going to get 25 cents a book, sold 8 million copies. And Yvonne bought a penthouse on Fifth Avenue. <laughs> so never take my advice <laughs> on go. publishing or business. Now, back to the Midday, midday. Show, uh, Darren. What, what was the day like, for example? You know, you were living in Sydney, as you said. I mean, the TV I was, I was living in the, I was living in the, uh, the penthouse at the, uh, at the summit, uh, the Shangri-La now, hotel with the Regent. The Shangri-La up the top there, yeah, on the with on a magnificent view of, of Sydney Harbour and, and the, the Opera House, and, the bridge and, the, and thanks to Kerry Packer, I, I was living in the penthouse, right near the Sydney Harbour Bridge, I think that hmm? uh, near the Sydney yeah, Harbour Bridge. Yeah. That, and, uh, and there's a if you go past there, I think it's now called Shangri-La, but if you go past there, it had a sort of a sloped window, a series of windows sloped on each corner. So well, you'd my, wake up in the morning, and there's, that, there's the, the view of the Sydney, Sydney Harbour. Harbour Bridge. Opera House, da-da-da. Magnificent. Was, you had a private lift from the Regent's bottom to, to ground floor. I used to, as a party trick, I'd go and walk around the outside of the, the window cleaner rail upstairs, which is not silly, which, which was silly. Um, but I lived there and, uh, oh God, I think it was about $1,800 a week in the 70s or 80s, whatever it was. Uh, anyway, um, it, was a, it was hard work because every night... I'd get a dispatch sent to me from the team of tomorrow's interviews and the background, the briefing notes on them and a copy of a book, which I'd be an author and a copy of... Because you couldn't read every book. You no, you didn't, but you'd, you'd skim. You'd, 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 yeah. 
you'd go through the you'd go through the back index to see if you got a mention, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you'd get and up. And then, then so I'd, I'd you, go. You'd get up and then you'd go across the bridge to mm. Willoughby where the TV studios. Mm. Yeah, so. we had a, had a, a limo would pick me up about eight o'clock and I'd go across. And then we all had cottages there, Willoughby, which had just been sold in Channel 9, just moving. And we all, 60 Minutes had a cottage and we had a cottage. Little old houses that Kerry had bought over the years, bought the whole neighbourhood, you know, and turned them into offices for all of us. Uh, and I'd get about nine, then I'd, uh, I'd be briefed by each producer who produced a segment, and they would come in. And I had a, I had a reverse way of... Um, Instead of asking them what they knew, I'd try to tell them what I knew <laughs> about their story and get them to correct me if I was wrong. So you were you were briefing yourself in reverse by saying, "Okay, now so and so is twenty five. She's got one child. She lives in so no. She lives in so and so. She's divorced. No, she's still married." And so you'd you'd, you'd I'd feed them what I'd learned, what I'd researched the night before, what I thought I knew, and uh, then. About 11 o'clock, I'd go down to my dressing room and get changed, and noon we're on, and I learned a couple of things. Well, then you're on, and uh, how does that work? Like the, the, the floor manager. Jeff Harvey would play the opening themes of the midday Harvey, show. Yeah, that's and a great then, name. He, he was involved in that show. Yeah, and you'd, walk, and you'd walk on the set and uh, with a, the, a live audience. Um, and you had cue cards there. Yeah, I remember there used to be guys. Oh, sometimes, from Mike Walsh, yeah. They used all, to hold we have auto cue for uh, for intros. We have that there. Sometimes a few cue cards. Um, you learn something. Channel Nine Studios it was the hottest studio I've ever been in my life, and I learned something. The way to take your temperature down by about ten degrees when you're on on a set with huge lights, you get a cup of cold water. You walk off stage during the commercial breaks. And you dab cold water behind your earlobes and across your wrists, and it would lower your temperature by about ten degrees. Because the last thing you want to do is be sweat, sweat, sweating yeah. on television. Well, I've told you before the, the Mike Walsh sweat story. This is, makes Giuliani look silly. Um, when he got the dribbles, Mike used to wear a, a, a hair dye called Maine, which wasn't a dye; it was like a spray, so it wasn't dyed into your hair. It was on the surface, and. One day he's sitting there and he's um, interviewing Cher and she starts staring at him because <laughs> it was hot and his black dye started dribbling down the side of his face, right? And David Lyle was his producer and Lyle screamed to the floor manager, keep the camera off Mike, don't go on Mike, keep on Cher. So the camera stayed on Cher for the rest of the interview, even during Mike's questions, because <laughs> they couldn't go to him with him having bloody black stuff pouring down his face, like Rudy Giuliani. And, uh, and I was talking to David Lyle about it later on, saying one of the worst things happen to you in television, you know, as you have these conversations. And he, I said, what'd you do? I mean, when Mike came off here, he must have been furious. He said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean? He said, as soon as I saw him starting to sweat, I went home. <laughs> the producer said, keep the camera on share and went home. <laughs> Just gave up. He said, there's no way I was going to be in that building when, 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 when he got there. Do, do, do you get nervous, uh, Darren, before you – edgy or nervous? No, or how, how I, do you, I, I um, didn't actually. Um, I know that John Farnham used to get very nervous to the extent that Glenn Wheatley, his manager, would throw up. 
before a show sometimes. Glenn manager, Wheatley would throw up. Yeah, the manager would because throw up. He's John Farnham. Because he's so worried about John. Well, yeah. they used to say that about Graham Kennedy, that before he went on, uh, he would be in the toilet vomiting uh, in, in the toilet bowl because mm. he'd be so, so nervous. Well, I know on 3AW about being nervous, a, um, a journo who should remain nameless, and it certainly wasn't me, but you'd bump into him in the courtyard in the old days in Latrobe Street, and it'd be five o'clock in the morning when I'm turning up for work. He'd be drinking vodka out of a brown paper bag before he went into the studio because he couldn't hack it. Oh, that's a bit... Uh, yeah. And I, I remember how shocked I was the first time I saw it and then you just got used to it there he would be before he went into work. You know, well, it's a bit, I don't know how people can keep doing that, you know, just keep torturing themselves. Yeah. Uh, in, in He, he in just said he couldn't... He could, I said, why? He said, I, I can't go on here without it. Tell me, on air, so confident. But my funniest one at midday, going back to midday, was I'd read the story, the research about Eartha Kitt, the black singer, right, whom I met at Martin Luther King's funeral. Uh, I think I mentioned once before, she was scuffing the bare feet, scuffing the stones with her feet to make them bleed as some sort of personal penance as we walked towards to where the uh, the body was kept. Um, but she, I'd read about how she was on this amazing diet which she swore by for health and she ate raw garlic day and night, oh. right? And she claimed in all the research I did that um, this garlic she ate, it, it, she, it's so good for her, it had no effect on her and didn't smell, had no smell at all. Yeah, well, she probably didn't smell it, but I, I'm sure I, I walked. Did. I walked into the, into the studio for a pre-record... With Eartha Kitt, and I said, "Eartha Kitt's here already." I could, I could smell the garlic. It was foul. It is foul because you know, it comes out of every pore. Every out of your, your back bottom. of your hands. You, yeah. I mean, I remember when I was doing a show on Three X Woy with Keith Williams, and we were doing a Hinch and Williams show. And I remember one morning getting to work on air at eight thirty, and Williams had been out the night before to some famous or infamous garlic restaurant in North Melbourne, right? <laughs> And he gets into, into work. I found out later his wife made him hang his clothes on the <laughs> clothesline outside because they stunk so much of garlic. In the studio, I was almost throwing up because, yeah. I mean, it was just this, it's the most awful smell of stale garlic coming at you in there, waves. There is absolutely nothing worse than, uh, than that. I mean, it's, well, I when, like- you, when you get into a taxi... And the, gu- the guy's been eating garlic. You think you're winding windows down, you're hanging your head out the door. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's right. It's um, uh, a, a, anyway. So now, let me tell you, let me tell you one of the, the coolest things about, about midday. Um, and this shows you where sometimes your television can be so destructive. Um, it was a night I'd just been told by David Leckie, the boss, that midday had been cancelled, right? By the way, why did they cancel it before you go? I, I don't know. Story? They just decided too expensive, too expensive, whatever. I mean, I was out rating, I was, I was topping the ratings, out rating Seven's movies and things like that every day. Uh, but they just said, it's cancelling it. And it was a huge, st- I had huge staff, you know, a lot of producers and whatever. Anyway, I was told I was going to cancel it. And the point I'm trying to make here, why television can be so cruel without people even knowing it. That night, I go to... The, the Channel 9 executive's bar up upstairs, uh, Mahogany Row. And I'm in there having a glass of wine. And most of the execs are there. They drop in for a drink after work. And it's all free. <laughs> um, and Lecky's across 
the room from me, across the bar. And we got on very well. But he yelled, he said, hey, Hinchy, Hinchy, why the long face? Why are you looking so sad? And I said, well, because you just cancelled my show. You just cancelled the midday show. He said, yeah, but I've given you a series of specials to do next year, All right, which they did, and rated well. And he said, and I've given you X, Y, Z as your producer. I didn't give you some fuck rip like blank, blank, and named a guy. So you should be happy. And next day I'm thinking, that poor guy who was named in front of all the other executives in the bar at Channel 9 would never know that his career had been screwed. Because if a new series was starting next month and somebody who's putting the series together says, hey, why don't we get Tom Smith as producer? One of those execs who knows the boss doesn't like him would say, nah, 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 he's not quite right for it. And that poor bugger would never know that his career had been destroyed by one throwaway line across the bar at the uh, in Channel 9. That says a lot about media managers, do you think? Yeah. Uh, I mean, what is it about media managers? Well, I mean, I'll give you an example. We, we, we talked about Gerald like Stone in 60 Minutes. When Stone came to Channel 7, I was doing the Hinch program, and his job was to get rid of me because he said he can't have Hinch as his own executive producer when I'm the executive producer. So, you know, it was like, whose lamppost are you pissing on? And so I was I, I was gone then. I knew. And Dermot, and I, Dermot O'Brien, I knew. Tell me about Jeff Harvey. Uh, apparently look, he's a, he was a very funny guy. He had a great sense of humor. Look, a very funny guy, great sense of humor. And we got on incredibly well, you know, and we... We did one show where we conspired to get, um, um, what, what's her name, to sing um, Crying, um, the Canadian lesbian singer whose name? Uh, yes, she, she does a version of Hallelujah. Yeah. That she sang at the Rick Damien, who sang? Winter Olympic Games. Hallelujah. Uh, yeah, Canadian singer. K.D. Lang. K.D. Lang, okay. That's it. So I conspired with her, I must admit, her producer said, whatever you do in this interview, live, you can't get Katie Lang to sing Crying. And I thought, that's what we want to hear for, right? Anyway, near the end of the interview, I set it up with Jeff and said, listen, if I start to tap my foot, watch for it, because you know I'm going to ask her to sing. And I did that terrible thing by saying, can you sing? She said, nah. I said to the audience, hey, come on, would you like to sing crying? <laughs> you say to the audience, they all scream, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she did it and did it beautifully. And, and Harvey being a brilliant musician and he's also, they played it like a dream and she knew she had great backing. But after the song, when she went to commercial break, she got up, she walked out and did not speak to me She wasn't again. happy. Not happy. And years later, I interviewed her for the opening of the reopening of the State Theatre here. And in the interview for radio, I said... Uh, she remembered. You won't remember this, will you? But once I... She said, I remember. <laughs> I just didn't raise it. But Harvey, to my sadness... I mean, I went out and played a charity cricket game at his, where he lived a barrel or whatever it was. And we got on incredibly well. But when it was all over, he gave an interview. And he said... Oh, Hinch was terrible to work with or something. You know, he, he was so um, reckless. And he said something which he'd never mentioned to me in his life. 
And I, I was really hurt because I thought we had a, a good rapport, a good relationship. And uh, I mean, I went and played drums on the drum on the with the band one day because I used to be a drummer decades ago. And I just the way he said, I thought, I know he, he loved Ray. You know, he loved Ray Martin, and I think uh, maybe he didn't think I fitted. But he never ever mentioned. It. I mean, and to his credit, on air we, he was so professional. We never never showed a thing that he couldn't stand me. So. Did Ray Martin give you any advice before you went on the show, before uh, you did it? Uh, enjoy yourself, mainly. And Ray, of course, I mean, Ray's a, is a good journal and a series, and he did a current affair off and on several times, but he, 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 was, he, was, he was more into midday than I was in the way that, I mean, he used to, they had skits every Friday, which he played, they did silly stuff like that, which, which I didn't do as much. Um, and I, I, I believe I should be more dogmatic at times. We did, in my view, we did too many, too many recipes and soft too, stuff. Soft stuff, yeah. you know. You know. I mean, I'm, I'm there cooking in the kitchen with a with so and so and so and so. And I, I think we, I enjoyed when we're getting tough. I mean, I, I interviewed some Holocaust survivors, and one of them played the accordion that he had played for the Germans when he was in Auschwitz, and everybody was crying. And that's the sort of stuff that. I liked. I liked interviewing authors, and I told you how they sold books so, so quickly sometimes. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it immensely. Uh, I thought it was, a, it was a great piece of my of my career. Do you ever go back? Because a lot of that stuff would be on YouTube. Yeah, I keep. Well, people keep reminding me. Keep sending me on Facebook um, uh, interviews I've done. One with Paul Hogan in 1993, or you know, five, whatever it was, and. Here's me as a young, young journo interviewing Paul Hogan. What when, am you, I fun- when you look at yourself, you know, like 20-something years ago, uh, and you see that interview with Paul Hogan, do you remember what happened before, what happened after that particular day? Or No, not or- really. No, it's just, it's just something frozen in time. I do remember one we had, a beautiful one with Paul Keating when he was Prime Minister. And uh, during commercial break, I said, have you noticed something? He said, no, what? We were in identical Xenia suits, double-breasted suits, the same tie. But he, when we came, he said, "Oh, but I'm wearing, I'm wearing nice shoes. You're wearing Aaron Williams boots." He <laughs> made that made that point. And, and I do recall interviewing Joan Collins uh, on the show. A, she had the worst fake eyelashes I've ever seen, and you still see the glue. Where she looked like she put them on herself, and she kept staring at her during the commercial break. She just stared at the monitor, looking at herself. Yeah, and. I mean, she's much older than she admitted to. I remember very beautiful when oh, she beautiful. was young. Oh, yeah. beautiful! Yeah, and I, I knew, and I met her sister actually. I knew her sister Jackie very, very. I knew her quite well. She's an author. Um, but I remember one that's very un, un, ungenerous of me. But I started looking at the monitor too then, and she had the oldest knees I've ever seen. <laughs> so I mean, she had she had all the face done and da da da, but the backs of her hands and her knees. Apparently, some things you well, can't you can't fix. Some stuff you can't hide. Yeah, you can't uh, hide. Yeah, look, the um, after I did um, after I did midday, they brought on. They tried out heaps of other people to try and reinvent it. And I remember once before Twitter, but going somewhere and saying to somebody, it was printed in the paper. I said, "Geez, I've had more pilots than the Luftwaffe." <laughs> and then they got um, they had two people doing it for a while. His names I've forgotten. And he had a um, he had an eye problem, 
which they tried to fix with makeup and try to make his eyelid higher and didn't work. And then, of course, Kerry-Ann Kennelly did it for a while, briefly. Um, look, there's still room for it, uh, for a, a noon daytime show. There's room for it. Well, I, I miss those sort of shows. Yeah. Uh, and, and even in the evening, I, I mean, I thought the Andrew Denton show that he did enough mm. rope was... He did some wonderful Well, well tonight's shows have worked in America forever. You know, about 10.30 at night, you'd like to see a one-hour show. I mean, the Visard show was good, even though he was lazy as hell and, and, and stole it from Letterman. <laughs> yeah. Even the movements. Even the movements yeah. and even the, the, the ten, top ten. I remember one day Steve was telling me how some guy approached him in the street and said, hey, I've just seen this new show on Channel 10. They started running Letterman. How do you feel about Letterman stealing your show? <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't have a heart to say, well, we nicked it all from him, you know. Uh, do you like television, Darren? Is it, oh, is, it, it. Is it something that... Yeah, um, I, still, I still love doing it. I mean, that's why I do midday... Sorry, I do uh, sunrise at least once a week and every second Saturday. I, I enjoy doing television. Um, I, wouldn't do, I wouldn't do five days a week of television or radio ever again. I mean, that's, that's for young blokes and yes. young women. Um, but I, I do enjoy still, still doing it, still driving and everything. You know, at my age, to still being asked to go on television uh yeah i enjoy it immensely well, to be involved and uh, that's the thing i like about you too darren you're, you're always tapped into what's happening well and every every tuesday i go and do sunrise as soon as i get into channel seven i walk down the newsroom and chat to the news editor and the journos one of paul dowsley who's a journo there used to be my producer on two G- on three aw at night times so you meet and chat with people and uh and you just get a feel that's why this working from home thing for COVID won't work for journos because you like the feedback. You like to, you talk to a journo who's just heading out, going the road, on the road for a story. And you so what are you doing? You know, and you, it's just that, that involvement. Well, you and I, we've both spent many, many years uh, in newsrooms, in and around newsrooms, talking yeah. about stuff that's news and issues and people and uh, yeah. talking to other journos about stuff that's, um, but they're unique places, aren't they? They are, yeah. You know, and and I, 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 I miss that. I enjoy it when I do go in there. One quick thing I want to tell you about was that, uh, speaking of talking about in newsrooms, that recent case in Point Cook, and I'll be careful because there's a woman being charged with uh, three murders, uh, the young couple and their three-week-old baby who died, for their family and friends with Christmas coming up. Horrible. Just so horrible. And the fact that, according to the police reports that I've heard, a prostitute goes to visit one of her clients, whom she's obviously seen before. They have a dispute over something, whether it's over money or proclivities I do not know and don't profess to know. She then leaves and returns with an accelerant and sets a light to his bed. Um... And it burns down the, the townhouse and three people are trapped upstairs. And for that, those neighbours who tried so bravely to save the woman, she's half leaning out the window, crying, screaming for help. They're trying to smash the window with an axe. They're trying to do everything they can and three people die. And, and the woman, and the only thing I'll say about it is, then says the alleged the person in charge says to her son, I've done something stupid. I had to kill off Facebook a lot this week, last week, because... People are, you know, putting up stuff that I couldn't leave there. I had to delete them. I mean, 
a woman's been charged, but she hasn't been tried or convicted mm, yet. Mm. You've got to be very careful what we what we put there and what we say here. Well, that's that's it. I mean, you know, uh, that's trial by media, and mm. we want to let you've got to be careful. Uh, the court case uh, go through. In Mr March. Hinch, we should tell people listening, please subscribe mm. and please uh, write a little review if you like uh, in the uh, website that you're, uh, yeah. you're on. And, and we're, we're number three at Hungary last week. Well, well, hello to everybody <laughs> in Hungary who yeah. is uh, listening. Maybe let us know uh where you're listening from in hungary what what town or city or country or what you're doing in hungary and why why you're listening and, to us and we're also doing very well in hong kong so there you go well there you go it's good to know that too. <laughs> right, mate. mr talk hinch soon. thank you very much we'll uh talk again before christmas